1: Is that Knight Rider? No, no
2: it's... it's... Well, I know exactly how it sounds. However, I did not name the right show. The
1: song is actually called Axel Foley. Does that tell you what it is? Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly
2: Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop. I said Knight Rider... Oh, boy. It's, it's been from a long It's era. Week. Yeah, yeah. It's like leather jackets and fast cars. Yeah, I can hear the synth in my head playing Yeah, exactly. Too. You it's just the, know it. You it's just... that 80s synth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, hey, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, you are listening and watching the Command Zone podcast, I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Uh, and we have a very fun episode today. There's a lot to talk about, and we also have a special guest on the show. Um, I don't know. how I mean, how much do we want to tease before we get right into it? There's also some... <laughs> commander spoilers that we need to talk about that's
1: true um and with our guest who is
2: an upstanding member of
1: the magic and the commander community we're going to talk about some of the hot button issues uh he writes a lot of articles and whatnot so we're going to cover sort of net decking and data and bands and all kinds of interesting stuff but before we get into all that we need to talk about our sponsors cardkingdom.com that's the place you need to go to buy all of your magic singles and products in fact, there's a couple of new products coming out very soon that you might want to get on pre-order. There's Arch Enemy, Nickel, Bolas, and uh, the Commander Anthology, both coming out in the next few weeks. If you use the affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash commandzone, you'll be directly supporting this show, this podcast, also Game Nights, and helping us keep the lights on and keep this content flowing.
2: Yep. I don't know if you know this, but we have the two of the anthologies behind us every single time we film the show. And I'd say Commander Anthology is... Going to be one of the most exciting anthologies ever to come out because a lot of those decks and cards are very hard to obtain. So I'm excited to get that as well. Another sponsor for the show is Ultra Pro, which makes a lot of the products you also see behind us and the products you use when you play the game. So play mats, um, dice bags, dice, they really cover the entire spectrum of magic stuff. Sleeves, obviously. And you know
1: those little metal dice that we had on game nights? Gravity dice. They're Those awesome. are sweet. Uh, yeah, we're definitely looking to get in some of those. And of course, we always talk about the eclipse sleeves. If you do get um, Arch Enemy Nicol Bolas or the Commander Anthology, you want to sleep up those decks right away in those yeah. eclipse sleeves for sure.
2: The interesting thing is I don't think I've ever been complimented more on a thing that I have in the magic table than it is than those dice.
1: Yeah, those dice are just like super slick, super well cut. They're just they have that nice hefty feel to them. I love them. Yeah. The the last way to support the show is directly on patreon.com slash command zone. You can contribute to us and uh, again help us keep the lights on and make sure that the content keeps flowing. In fact, we call out one lucky patron every single episode, and this episode is dedicated to Jeremy Griffin. Griffin. We picked an easy-to-pronounce name this time because last episode was <laughs> kind of tough. So, Jeremy, you rock.
2: Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny because we can actually also call out another Patreon subscriber today.
1: That is a good point because our guest is a member of our Patreon. <laughs> I,
2: I totally didn't even think of that. We should have called out you, uh Adam Stoborski, The Stibbs uh, himself is on the show. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Now, Adam, we've known each other for quite a while now, and I think most people in the Magic community should know and recognize who you are. You've been writing for The Mothership, the Wizard's site, since 2009. Oh my goodness, what kind of articles do you get right for them?
3: Uh, well, I started doing Serious Fun, kind of the the catch all casual column and that evolved into command tower when commander really kind of took over the casual scene and became a really uh, big topic of conversation Mm -hmm. Uh, and i still do uh, articles for for them every month that's awesome
1: yeah adam you also write you've written over the years for many different sites um, but i think now you're the content manager at tcg player and you have articles there is that correct
3: yeah, um, I don't get a, I don't get as much chance to write articles as much as I'm working on kind of other projects here behind the scenes at TCG Player. But uh, when I do, it's it's generally about my cube or definitely Commander. Uh, <laughs>
2: the,
1: the
3: two ways I still play, and it's my favorite thing to talk about.
1: In fact, we're going to be talking about one of your recent articles on TCG Player, uh, which was about Commander. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't want to Mm -hmm. stop listing your accomplishments
2: yet. And my accomplishments. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say the very biggest (laughs) accomplishment we
1: have written down here is you were a teammate of Jimmy Wong on the 2015 Community Cup.
2: Which we won. Boom. Throw it up. Let's go. That was <laughs> an amazing we'll win. i never forget getting carried. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you and me both, buddy. <laughs> I was not <laughs> necessarily pulling my weight while uh, Yoel Larson did a great job of doing that. Um,
1: it's funny because we asked Adam for, uh, or asked Tibbs, I should say, for a, um, a bio. And one of the things you put down, Stibs, is favorite magic card, rampant growth. You mm-hmm. want to talk about that a little bit?
3: Yeah, um, I, mean, I think rampant growth is kind of one of those iconic cards in Magic, right? Like I remember it from Mirage, that was like when mm. one of the first sets that I learned to play with. Uh, and it kind of defines kind of like a lot of things I like to do in Magic. like. I like attacking on turn two, and that's fine. But the way I really like playing with Commander, I just always want to cast Rampant Growth on turn two. Getting a basic land is like one of the safest things to do in Commander. Nobody's yeah. going to take offense with that. Most people aren't really playing anything that'll that'll blow it up or damage it or touch it. So it's just it's just always what I want to do on turn two.
2: I agree with
1: that. It was my number two uh, green card. Well, series that, of cards. That series of cards: <laughs> Rampant Growth, Farseek, Nature's Lore, that kind of stuff. Cultivate Kadama's Reach, but. I am with you 100% there, Stibs. Uh, <laughs> as we said, we're going to talk a lot about Stibs, his own personal perspective on the format, some of the hot-button issues that he likes to talk about and has brought up in his articles. One in particular was talking about rec and the data that it brings to our format, and some of the uh, sort of ups and downs, advantages and disadvantages of eh, net decking, quote-unquote, I guess is what we would call it. Yeah. But... There is something kind of big that happened in the last day. In fact, in the last,
2: like, probably 14 hours. I wish it didn't, because I hate it when this happens, because it ruins the articles that people like you, Stibs, write for these cards. But at the same time, it's exciting. I mean, it's out there, so we're going to talk about it a little bit. But we're not going to go into a lot of depth, because we're going to wait until
1: the full set is spoiled. But there has been some leaks from Commander 2017. Now, if you recall... That's going to be a tribal set. We already know. It's coming out in August. With, with only four decks, correct? With only four decks. Yeah. Um, so we know sort of the setup, but we haven't seen any of the specific cards until now. They got leaked. Again, these aren't 100% confirmed, but most people are pretty sure they are
2: real. Um, it's hard to, to fake a leak on this level, and we do have a lot of Magic fans out there, but this is not, you know, this, they look pretty legit. So they're five-colored dragons is yeah. the first thing dragon tribal is going to be one of the four uh main decks of the tribal decks in commander 2017 and there's a brand new keyword and there's some incredibly powerful new cards and all of the legendaries are five color, so that's well there's one that's oh not,
1: there's one that's not you're there's right.
2: two but th- there are three legendary dragons that are five color. Yeah. So, so that's Josh what's Lee exciting Lee, quiet, to get get me ready well i wasn't <laughs>
1: excited about tribal but if you're gonna make it five color i'm a little bit more excited yeah um stips, have you seen these leaks yet
3: Yes, yes, I have. I, it's kind of hard to miss them when uh, you're plugged into the community. <laughs> yeah. What uh, What do you think? Uh, I think um, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I was kind of wondering like where wizards would go with having uh, tribal as kind of like the centerpiece of decks because I usually think about them in terms of color. That's all we've had for the commander, you know, yearly releases. And mm-hmm. so I think um, you know one of the cards really kind of shows off a, a mechanic that's like definitely geared towards having a commander that is the tribal commander for your deck and kind of tells you to play that tribe so um you know i was excited to see that that's that they're really going deep on the on the on the all-in on the tribal
2: well while we're talking about that let's let's talk about this first card the mechanic you mentioned is called eminence and it it's a it is a
1: the preeminent tribal mechanic
2: now yeah yeah, and it's again uh, Wizards but of the Coast adding a little flair. <laughs>
1: the casting to... cost on this card is insanity.
2: Yeah, it is, but it, <laughs> but the, the the keyword is nice. It ro- reminds me a lot of um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Captain Grow Big and Gain a Lot of Life. Captain Grow Big and Gain a Lot of Life. It's another commander that people really uh, don't like playing. Alora? Aloro? Yeah. yeah. So it's something that affects <laughs> the commander being. Sorry, that was. <laughs> Captain just... Grow Big and. Hey, but I got it. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was perfectly to <laughs> describe. Um, yeah, let's let's read the card.
1: It's it's the Ur Dragon. Yeah, not the Scion anymore. It yeah. is the Ur Dragon. Well, this is Scion's daddy, right? Because Scion, I think, means descendant. So yes. the Ur Dragon. Okay, here's the casting cost. Four and Wuberg. So nine, <laughs> nine mana. mana. Four white, four generic mana, plus white, blue, black, red, green. Nine mana total. For a legendary creature, Dragon Avatar. It's a oh man, I can't. Ten ten, <laughs> um, because there are leaks. the uh, the The card image quality is not great because it's like a cell phone picture of a card. Wait, nine mana ten ten. Nine mana ten ten Deal. passes
2: the vanilla test. Deal.
1: <laughs> it has flying, of course. It's a dragon. It has eminence, which is the new mechanic we were talking about. It says eminence. As long as the ur dragon is in the command zone or on the battlefield, other dragon spells you cast cost one less to cast. And then whenever one or more dragons you control attack, draw that many cards, then you may put a permanent card from your hand onto the battlefield. So it turns all your dragons into, uh,
2: uh, what's the card that it, when it attacks you draw cuz you usually have to deal combo damage to draw but oh, it's just right, when it right. attacks this is and there's many dragons that are attacking so if you have one dragon that attacks you draw one card if three dragons attack you draw three cards and then the nah. champion of Ronas is out of the card yeah, but in ca- this it's case, sort of kalia is a card yeah that,
1: oh yeah because it's not tapped in attacking yeah. yeah but it's only one you only get to cheat in one you know card
2: not for each dragon that's attacking it's, you know yeah, cuz yeah. that's not
1: powerful enough
2: yeah, so this guy also has flying, notably, so this first eminence part that makes your dragon spells cost less to cast happens in the command zone and on the battlefield, but the second part of, uh, of when dragons attack has to be, the Ur-Dragon has to be on the battlefield, but this card is, you can put a land onto the but battlefield. But the Ur-Dragon doesn't have to be attacking, any <laughs> no, dragon is attacking, so you can cast it, attack with other dragons, draw some cards, cheat
1: something out into play. Uh, Stibbs, what's your first reaction to this card? Um, well, if you like progenitus, you're gonna love this card. <laughs> <laughs> I
3: think point. it's one of those cards that um, it. I think it encourages people to recognize um, a good play sequence, right? Like you get to mana, you cast this, and then attack with like any or all of your dragons, and you get even if they, you know, untap next turn and destroy your Ur dragon and kind of try to undo some of the tribal stuff you're doing. Like you're getting the Ur dragon and you're getting something else for free. Um, and it's really rare that you get to kind of like double up. Like that. So, um, yeah. you know, nine mana is a lot to pay for, but you're effectively getting a card in hand and most likely something free out of your hand on the battlefield, too. Yeah, if you I played Rampant that that's Growth on not two. not far off from a good deal.
2: I think you're going to get there.
1: <laughs> you yeah. play Rankin Growth on two, then bar Seek on three,
2: then Nature's Lore on four, and you're almost there. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> Turn five or a dragon. Uh, okay, the next legendary is O Kagachi, Vengeful Kami, who costs one and Wuburg, so six mana total. It's a Dragon Spirit 6 6 as Flying and Trample. And whenever, uh, and this I believe is gonna be another theme of the set, which is specifically targeting players that have attacked you or done something to you, the player. Whenever O oh, Vengeful Kami deals combat damage to a player, if that player attacked you during his or her last turn, exile target non land permanent that player controls. So this card to me is really interesting because now it brings in this direct idea of vengeance. And also specifically, the, you have real consequences for attacking certain people because of cards like this. And I believe this is something that we're going to see across the, the four, uh, four decks in the set. So the interesting thing is like, I would build this deck with haste enablers and just say, All right, you want to attack me? And I have six mana to cast Okugachi. It's a 6-6 six, six flying trample. I'm going to exile something of yours if you come at me. It's kind of the idea, I think, of the card here.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that if if you're right in that that's sort of this vengeful aspect is something that they carry over to the other tribal decks. Um, I think it's interesting also that it's a dragon spirit, so it has dual tribality, um, <laughs> and right. we're going to see that in another one of the legendary cards. Um,
2: that it also has sort of two tribes. that's part uh, out, everyone's favorite. Yeah, this one's crazy. Uh, Stibbs, do you have any thoughts on Okagachi and that idea of? I mean, we talk a lot about politics in Commander, and this is screaming, like, look at the politics just oozing out of the card.
3: Yeah, I, I don't like having to wait for the vengeance, right? Like, so you have to mm-hmm. attack and hit with Okagachi to get the ability, um, and that can actually be tough, An opponent knows, like, it's coming. Like, it's it's really easy to play around if you see it in advance.
1: Right. Yeah, it feels like if, if somebody does do damage to you, then they have to have an answer for Okagachi because otherwise, why would why would they do that? Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, so the, the, the other, the other um, legendary <laughs> with what I'm calling dual tribality is Wasatora ne, uh, Nekoru Queen. Yeah, that's good. That, did I do okay there? Yeah. Okay. It's two uh, black, red, and green, so five mana total for a 5-4 Flying Trample. Legendary creature, Cat
2: Dragon. Yowzo.
1: Is this like um, what was the Never Ending Story? That was a dog dragon, kind of right, Falcor.
2: Yeah, Falcor. This is mm-hmm. this is
1: Falcor's like cousin. Um, <laughs> Falcor tra- chases down this one.
3: I tray you. Okay. Uh,
1: <laughs> sorry. It's a again five mana five four flying trample. It says whenever Wasatora deals combat damage to a player, that player sacrifices a creature. If that player can't, you create a three three black red and green cat dragon creature token with flying. <laughs> So as soon as you're attacking somebody and they don't have a creature to sacrifice, then you start making cat dragons. And the cool thing about this is they have a cat dragon token, which yep. has also been leaked. Yeah. <laughs> so you can just get an army of,
2: well, not three Falcors, three. Ca- Calcors. Calcors. And if you combine that with Ur-Dragon, then those little cat dragons are going to draw you cards, and now it's going to be great. Um, yeah, very interesting card. Uh, it's Jund, so it reminds me a little bit of Brumaid Dragon, which comes in with a 4-4. Yeah. But yeah, making tokens in in this kind of deck seems interesting. Now, what, does, it has to deal combat damage, of course, but.
1: Yeah, that's true. Stibbs, what do you think about this one? Is it sort of similar because it has to deal combat damage again? I mean, I know that's a thing in Commander that's often a lot harder to do than it seems.
3: Um, I, I like it a little bit more because it basically forces your opponent to block, right? Like, if you have, mm-hmm. if you're attacking and your opponent you know has like a whole bunch of sapperlings, um, they probably don't care. But if they if they don't have a lot of creatures um, and they don't have an answer for it, like they're probably going to block aggressively, and so it can kind of give you a read on maybe what they have planned or what's in their hand, um, depending on how they act on that.
2: Yeah, a five-four flying trample is not if you have anything with four power in the air, then it's easy to block. But in general, I found that that is probably going to get in for damage.
1: Well, yeah. Well, you we can always <laughs> find somebody that does. It's not like everyone's going to have a flyer, right? Yeah, that's and, true. Yeah, you wouldn't attack the sapper uh, opponent, I'm assuming, because they're just like, yeah, fine, sack something. Yeah. Um. Oh boy, this one seems the most insane to me. There's, to it's me a, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's
2: a. It's technically a colorless dragon, but for commander color identity, it's going to be five color. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Jimmy. It's a six mana the Ramos Ramos Dragon Engine. That's six uh, generic mana. It's it's an artifact for a four four legendary artifact creature dragon with flying. Whenever you cast a spell, put a plus one plus one counter on Ramos Dragon Engine for each of that spell's colors. So it kind of has like converge by proxy i guess yeah so let's say you cast the cat dragon Wasitora. you would put three plus one plus one counters on ramos because it's jund and those are three colors in that spell now the second line of text remove five plus one plus one counters from ramos add white white blue blue black black red red green green aka progenitus mana to your mana pool activate this ability only once each turn so you get plus one, plus one counters when you cast cards. Doesn't mean that's the only way you get them. But at instant speed, you can remove five plus one, plus one counters just to make ten mana. You can just cast the Ur-Dragon off of this on turn probably seven, six. Well, you can probably do this on turn six. Here's the thing. If you cast a spell that costs the five different colors of mana
1: that cost Wooburg, you immediately can make turn that mana into ten more mana. Yeah. And you got the spell you cast. So let's say you play Ramos, then you play, I don't know,
2: uh, Child of Alara. Now you can play Progenitus. Yeah, or, or the ur Dragon, or any or any combination. <laughs> well, basically of 10 any mana. card
1: because you got ten. Yeah, you can play
2: Ullamak. <laughs> yeah, you, you, can <laughs> you cannot play Cruel Ultimatum, <laughs> but you can get real close. <laughs> uh, this you can only do that once per
1: turn again. You know, because otherwise you could pretty easily go infinite. Yeah, just with chaining it chaining spells. It still seems like insanity to me. I don't know, Stibbs. How do you feel about this card?
3: I mean, I think it's I think it's a lot easier to go infinite than than it looks. Right? Like if you're in five colors, you can just play something that can let you flicker the creature and kind of reset that. The oh activate disability ability only once each turn is not as powerful of a disclaimer as it might look. Um, I think it's one of those cards that I mean, plus one, plus two hunters are good. You know you're getting a bonus every time you cast the spell, but you're probably using something to double up um if you're in five colors, you can do a lot of yeah stuff like i like I think I, like I think um I think, I think I think I think Ramos is gonna be friends with Atraxa.
1: yeah, that's a really good point, uh not just the Atraxa part, but I think what you said about flickering it right, so if you mm-hmm. have Miss Meta Witch or Deadeye out invigator out, you can use some of the mana created to flicker the card, yeah, and then do it again, although Miss Meadows end of turn Deadeye is not though, yeah. Ugh, boy, this is just... Dead Eye with this is
2: game far order. broken, because you use yeah. the
1: mana that you create to flicker it, it comes back in, you cast another spell with the
2: rest of the mana, because you're still going to have, like, eight left or whatever. Throw a Paradox Engine in there, untap all your lands, make even more mana. Paradox Engines non-lands, but... Oh, sorry. Throw a Paradox Engine in there because it's colorless.
1: And, <laughs> it's uh, still good. And
2: be like, look, I'm just doing broken things, deal yeah. with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh anyway yeah Ramos seems really powerful um i'm i think i'm definitely changing my my intent dragon deck i have to looking at all these cards now why and do you just
1: get to add two colors for free and you don't even it's like you, yeah. you even have an even better commander than yeah. you used
2: to yeah uh, um oh i hadn't even seen this one this one was like while i was driving over here today yeah i want you to just read this and i want to look at your face and see what you think about this because this is pretty crazy too
1: okay so this is a legendary creature we don't even know if it's from the same deck it probably isn't. It, Maybe it doesn't have the word dragon in it's, it. It's possible. Oh yeah, so it probably is. Okay, so it's it's Ty Gam, Oju Tai Master. You remember there were some cards like taigam scheming that mm-hmm. mentioned Tigam before. Two white, blue for a legendary creature, human monk, three four. That means we already know there's at least five legendary creatures in this deck. I if, mean, maybe they had to add more because there's only four decks instead of five. Yeah, that's a good but. point. Okay, so a four mana, three four, human monk, legendary. Says instant sorcery and dragon spells you control can't be countered by spells or abilities. So it's such a random combination. Instant sorcery and dragons. dragon spells. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell from your hand, if Tygam attacked this turn, that spell gains rebound. Interesting. So Interesting. Oh, rebound. Oh, I'll read the text. You right. right. exile the spell as it resolves. And at the beginning of your next upkeep, you can cast this, the card from exile without paying its mana cost. So you kind of cast the spell twice, once this turn, the time you actually cast it, and then you cast it for free on your upkeep. Uh, there's a bunch of cards from the Cons block. Not Cons specifically, but Fate Reforged and Dragons of Tarkir had they sort of rebound, rebound yeah. as a mechanic. Um
2: Four mana for a 3-4 is not That makes too your stuff bad. basically uncounterable? Yeah. I mean, like, I think this is better to make as a deck itself. So you just have a ton of instances and sorceries. You kind of play along the make it unblockable route or give it, you know, hexproof shroud route. And then you just have massive spells hitting the battlefield. You play Narset Transcendent in there as well because it's very similar. Uh, I mean, this this seems pretty cool. I really like where they're going with this. It's not nearly as broken as Ramos or any of those other cards, but... Still I, it's pretty, pretty broken, right? Whenever you cast an instant sorcery spell, if Tygam has attacked that turn, so it
1: doesn't yeah. care how many. Yeah. So you could attack with Tygam, and then just be like Treasure Cruise, Dig Through Time, Brainstorm. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. four mana, and then on my next cupkeep, I'm going to draw another like seventeen million cards, and, do, and that's. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, Stibs, What do you think, Tygam?
3: I I really like this card. I think it's a good example of wizards taking advantage of design space. So. Mm-hmm. Taigum is is part of the, you know, the the new Tarkir with the dragon still in control and it's part of the the dragon you know, timeline. Um, yeah, the Ojutai is, you know, brood whatever it's called and um, you know, it, it'd be easy just to make him like care only about dragons, but he's really just like an Azorius control commander, right? Like if you just love countering stuff and drawing cards, like this guy's great. Um, yeah. And unlike some of the other triggers we saw in the Legendary Creatures, he doesn't care if he deals combat damage, he just cares if you attack. Yeah. So you can actually attack, cast some spells, take them out of combat, do whatever, and you still get full value for having attacked with him.
2: Yeah, what's that card that enchant, is it Reconnaissance? Yeah, you that, can... That can remove mm-hmm. people from combat? Yep, you untap them and they don't take damage. Yeah, so Reconnaissance would be a perfect Great card, card in, this in this deck. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I love th- what you said about the design space. Also... If you notice, the Ur-Dragon, Taigam, and Okagachi are all characters, and even Wasatora, I guess, are all characters that we've heard about uh, but never got to have cards. So I think that's a perfect place for Commander to sit in, which, like, there are a lot of legendary people out there and creatures, and we can put them in the Commander sets instead. And they are obviously all tailored not for standard, so they can have some absurd power levels. So here's a question for you guys. We've seen these, what, five cards plus a token. Yeah. Is
1: there anything we can gleam about what Commander twenty seventeen is maybe possibly gonna look like? Do we have any more of a picture of what that is
2: based on this stuff, or is this just sort of like still anything could happen? If it if the five color thing keeps up and there are five color commanders in each of the decks, it would be very crazy to me because the the amount of deck building. Don't get my hopes up, Jimmy. I mean, here's the thing. <laughs> with the, we got four-color commanders, and they, they showed us in the decks how to correctly fix and build for that with all the land cycling. So I could totally see them just going deeper and just saying, look, we're going to give you a lot of five-color options right now. And Wow. That would be a hit, I Stibbs, think. Stibbs,
1: do you think that's possible? Don't get my hopes up, man.
3: I would not be surprised if they went that route. Um, I think for certain <laughs> to maximize the ability to put lots of tribes together. So, like, mm-hmm. merfolk have been in, like, two or three colors. Elves have been in like two or three colors. You know, a lot of popular tribes have been across multiple colors. So having like these super commanders that encapsulate all of those colors and give you a way to play all of your favorite whatever's makes a lot of sense. I don't think, I think five colors is a little unreasonable, but I think, you know, three, three colors, four colors is not off the table. I think it makes more sense to do it that way.
1: All right. Calm down, Josh. It's not all going to be five
2: colors. Got it. I Thanks think a lot. It might. Thanks a lot for crushing
1: my dream stips. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there are also a lot of reprints that are going to be coming. Intet, who I mentioned earlier, is going to be in this deck as well as. Do we know all sign. that stuff's in there? Yeah, the, these were all revealed with it um, that these are going to be the reprinted. So there's just a, the Dragon Tribal is filled with dragons Crucible of the Spirit Dragon, Haven of the Spirit Dragon, Steel Hellkite, Colagon, Dramoka, Target, just a lot of cards. Um, so. It looks like it's going to be pretty sweet. I mean, having a deck that just gives you, like, you brought, if you if I bought the dragon travel deck, it's more like, hey, Jimmy, do you want to just get all the cool dragons across time? And dragons tend to be very expensive because they're such a popular
1: um, creature type that there's sort of, like, always a bump on the price of your average dragon, because people yeah. just like dragons. So that's exciting. Um, again, I wish this the leaks hadn't happened in this particular manner, but... So far, Commander 2017 looks like it's off to a good start. It'll be exciting to see sort of how it unfolds from here.
2: Yeah, and I think Eminence is the big thing that I'm on the lookout for because Aloro is an unpopular commander because you don't have to do anything to activate one of his abilities. He's uh, an unpopular commander? Well, as people don't like him. Oh, I was going to say, he was, for a long time, he was the most popular commander. <laughs> yeah, that's so there's, a, I think, a general thread of distaste about his the way he works the fact that he affects the game from with, the command yeah, zone, without yeah without having you the player needing to do anything and the air dragon has a little bit of that and then seems to be doing the same thing so we'll see how far they push that all right let's move on to our main talk today with Stibbs uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of sort of different hot button issues different suggestions and topics It's sort of doing a, it's like a, I don't know how you'd call it like a nice overall coverage of, of some very interesting things yeah this all started because uh, Stibbs
1: began a conversation with us over Twitter, and we were talking about an article that he re- had released. Uh, I was going to say new article, but it's been a little while, Stibs, since it took a little <laughs> while to set up. And your article was titled, Commander Data, uh, Most Played Colors and Cards. So do you want to talk a little bit about what the article was about, Stibs, just to give everybody a good framing for the discussion we're going to have? And, and again, we're going to lead into some other issues that aren't mentioned in the article, but this is sort of the germ of where this whole conversation with you began.
3: Yeah, so in the lead up to writing that article, I had written kind of two recent articles before that one which was, you know, recommending some cards that I felt were underplayed or undervalued, just kind of like useful things that, you know, players should give a try. And then I also wrote kind of like a really over-the-top article because I just really wanted to kind of like grab at that nerve of things that I see in every deck, right? It feels like everybody always just plays these cards. And I just mm. wanted to say, you know, you don't have to always play that card. Like you should be asking yourself, does this card belong in this deck? You know, sometimes the mm. card doesn't actually belong in there, but you're just not thinking about it. And so it was meant to kind of go that question. And I realized from interacting with the comments and stuff that didn't actually know like how do I know if something's underplayed or overplayed and really the only resource for that is EDH so I um, reached out to reached out to them they pulled some they pulled some data that basically um, got it you know what are the most played cards by color identity um, and that's kind of where this article led was just talking about what what that means like what can what, what can we know from it because there's some limitations of course to the data it's not a perfect sample of every commander deck ever but. Um, it is a conversation point. Like if somebody says that card's played too much, well, let's see what the data says. And this is just one way to help identify and pull some of that together.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so I think it'll be interesting for us to look at. And well, there's a there's a phrase that you sort of that you sort of go to uh, in the article, it, which is what penetration. I think. Do you want to explain mm-hmm. what that means, really quick?
3: Yeah. So penetration is the metric that that I felt was. A great way to describe what, um, what I was trying to find, which is how often is that card played in decks that can play that card, right? Mm. So like Cyclonic Rift is a good example. It's how many, how many decks play Cyclonic Rift? Well, if you look at all decks, you you know you're not getting a good number because it's including a lot of decks that don't play blue. Um, so penetration is, is of decks that can play blue, how many have cyclonic rift in it? Um, and so that penetration is basically a percentage of decks that it appears in, and that's kind of one of those ways that that I would define as, is it being played a lot? Well, how many decks can play it? That's how many decks we see playing it that can.
2: Mm-hmm. It uh, should be no surprise then that the number one card is Sol Ring at a 77% mm-hmm. penetration, essentially.
1: We should say really quickly, and this is something that I always want to say about EDA trick data, is that the data is tends to be biased, um, and Donald has talked about this on various places before, that the data isn't exactly like one for one to the real world. Like a lot of people, especially when new commander decks come out, they tend to just put the stock list up online and sometimes it'll sort of, I know he's working on ways and maybe he's worked out some of those kinks to sort of filter some of that, but it can, it's not exactly accurate to, to, to what, you know, the real world world is. But at the same time, I would say that like the position of the cards on the list is probably pretty close to correct now are the percentages exactly correct probably they're probably they're not but it gives us a good look at it um yeah i'm just going to read down a few of them because it's just interesting to see and we'll put it on screen for those people watching on youtube uh soul ring is number one 70 76.8 percent of decks run soul ring and for soul ring you can say of all decks right Stibbs, because all decks can run it yep cyclonic rift is 50.2%, 50.2%, and that would be 50.2% of decks that include blue. Should be higher. <laughs> uh, swords, and, and Cyclonic Rift is the second most. Swords to Plowshares is third, 46.5. Mm-hmm. Eternal Witness is fourth, 44.9. Cultivate, 37.5. Counterspell, 37%. Kodama's Reach, 35.6. Demonic Tutor, 35%. Putrefy is our first double colored. Yeah. Uh it's black and green and it's 34.1%. I'm going to stop reading the percents now, but it goes Supreme Verdict is it Signet, Sakura Tribe Elder, Sun Titan, Rakdos Signet, Boros Signet, Orzhov Signet, Lightning Greaves for rexian Arena, Marari's Wake, Path to Exile. Wow, stibs. This is interesting actually. It's really interesting. I'm surprised by some of these, not surprised by most. Yeah. Uh, was there sort of a, a a big initial takeaway when you when you compiled this list?
3: Yeah, it kind of affirmed that the data I felt was pretty reasonable to to kind of look at and make um, make some decisions from. And what I mean by that is um, because this was ranked by the penetration, that is how many decks of that of that color played that card. Um, a lot of these cards start to make sense, right? Like Racto Signet, Boros Signet, Orzo Signet. Like those are you know okay, they're mana rocks, but like. Why are they so high? Well, it's because those colors don't have green. They don't have ways of ramping. Mm. So they don't have other options. W- yeah, that's your go-to, best two mana ramp spell for that deck. So it makes sense. Every deck that can play that probably does. Um, you know, some of them like Soul Ring. You know, kind of like that's. It's in every single commander deck that Wizards prints, and you know, it's just one of those go-to cards. Um, you know, other things like Lightning Greaves is probably the best creature equipment for commander. It just protects and haste and it does so many good things for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Path to Exile and um, Swords of Plowshares are the best one mana removal spells because, unlike Lightning Bolt, where which sees a lot of play in like Legacy or Modern, this just absolutely gets rid of a creature. It exiles it's one of the few ways to really just take something out. It keeps it out of the graveyard, uh, which is a you know really popular recursion is always a popular commander. So a lot of the data made sense in the context of if I'm building a deck around that color, is this a card I'm I'm probably going to play?
2: Interestingly, a lot of the top sort of 10 are blue and green as well. And, they, you know, so if you look at the kinds of cards in the top 10, you could say Cyclonic Rift and Swords or Removal, and then Cultivate, Kodama's Reach, a Ramp, and then Counterspell, is, there's a Counterspell there, and then there's a couple of Tutors with Demonic Tutor and...
1: But it shouldn't matter the colors because it's only percentages of the the colored decks right, right. so but, it's not like if you're blue, saying and that green, blue and green gets played more it's just that no. if you are blue and green you're playing cyclonic rift and cultivate basically yeah
2: and that 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 is a dominant part of the format for blue and green decks is a lot of them are playing ramp i yeah. would say um you
1: can infer a lot about the fact that people tend towards the lower priced cards when you look at this list right because Swords of plowshares and path to exile should really be a lot closer i would think uh but there's a pretty big gap there it's what, like 18% difference. Mm-hmm. And my guess is because Path is quite a bit more expensive than Swords to shares. Again, Counterspell is a great blue card that's going to go in every blue deck, but there's a bunch of Counterspells like Mana Drain that would be on here. Mm-hmm. But obviously price is a factor when going into the, the data like this. I would say there's probably a whole bunch of cards that would be higher, except for they're very, very expensive.
2: Um, yeah. Demonic Tutor is kind of expensive, but it still makes it on here, I think, just from sheer power level, which is really interesting.
1: Was there anything on this list that was surprising you, or just stood out as an outlier, or something weird, uh, Stibbs? Um,
3: I mean, it's it's kind of hard to say, right? Like, because there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of cards on this. I'm just kind of like looking at um, looking at the top. I think the one thing that stood out to me was the lack of red cards. Like, it's really not until you get down to I think Chaos Warp um, mm-hmm. that you find a mono red card, and that's like um, I think the the top 50th. It's like the 50th card by penetration, um, and I think that speaks to Kind of the the design philosophy of of how multiplayer works like a, like red kind of gets the short stick a little little often um, like last week you guys talked about um, you know, the other week you kind of talked about Borup breaking Boros and yeah. some of the some of the stuff that red can do um, and I think it's because it's, it gets underplayed a little bit and so like the top played red spells are Blasphemous Act and Chaos Warp and they're just removal. They're just answers, and I think that they're yeah. probably weaker than what other colors can do. So if you're generally playing multicolor in Commander, you're probably not playing the red version of whatever effect you're looking for.
1: Oh, that's really interesting. I would actually posit to say that that is um, sort of a symptom of red not being your main color all that often. So you're using red in a deck like you've got a Marchesa deck, mm-hmm. right? But red's doing something different in that deck than it would be doing in my Nekusar deck, yeah. which is doing something different than a Boros deck. And so you don't have this sort of space that red occupies that it's always filling, whereas green is always providing your ramp. Mm-hmm. So that's why Cultivate and Kodama's Reach are always going to be on there because it doesn't matter what deck you're running and what it's doing. If you've got green, you're probably running Kodama's Reach and Cultivate. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> whereas like Chaos Warp, which is the number 50 card, it's, it's good, but there's certain other color pairings where they can do that effect for better, so you wouldn't even use it. Uh, also, I've noticed that Blasphemous Act is uh, also a mono-red card that's a little above Chaos yeah. Warp, uh, which makes sense because it can be just a very efficient... Um, answer, but that's that's interesting about red because again the way that penetration works and the way that you guys sort of did the data it shouldn't matter what color something is, uh, but I think it kind of shows us how um, what's the word consistently that color does the similar thing basically. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. there's also another list on there where you did the uh, the color I don't want to say pairings I guess it's still pairings if it's more than one color. Yeah, the color combinations and. Sort of what percentage of decks were in each color combination. So we've a couple of years ago when EDH Trek was really just starting out, we had Donald Miner uh, who started EDH Trek on, and he talked about this a little. But it's interesting. Uh, we'll read it really quick. So the percentage of decks by color identity, the number one most common is mono black, 4.98 percent. The second most is Wuburg at 4.72 <laughs> percent. Golgari, green black is third at 4.45 percent mono red is actually the fourth most common color identity that's interesting mono blue is next then it's grixis then it's esper then it's mono green azorius uh Dimir. Dimir, simic simic so so low at 3.64 percent uh selesnia. selesnia mono white we're going to stop at this point you can again watch the video and or Again, the links for this article are definitely going to be in the show notes. You can check that out.
2: I would make a note that statistically these numbers aren't hugely different from another. For it's instance, a really good point. from Golgari, it's four point five four five percent and Monoblue is 4.27%. So they're both still 4%, but the difference is pretty small. And we're looking at a huge field here, so... It's interesting seeing what is the least played. Um, all the new four-color decks are at the bottom because I just think there's only one you know commander you can really use for each of them. Well, partner commanders, but, but if, yeah. But if you had to guess which one's number one, at 2.29%, it's definitely Atraxa. <laughs> <laughs> which
1: basically, all two point... That, that almost means that Atraxa decks are 2.29% uh, of the format because all the uh, Red List decks are Atraxa decks. Not true, but it feels like it. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um <laughs> Anything interesting you 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 saw in the color identity sort of breakdown here, Stibbs? Or what was the the takeaway from that? Do you think
3: this one was a little hard for me to kind of think about um, because I, I honestly just expected like. You know, Grixis and Demir and Azorius, and like the the control colors to be at the top because that's what I think about when I think about Commander decks online. It's a lot of you know how, you know control decks and card draw and value, and a lot of those decks I see shared. But seeing black and Wuburg on top, um, you know, I'm not actually sure what to make of that. I think Mono is really popular. I think it speaks to that um, and the fact that reanimation is really powerful because Gogari's the the third. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so I think the graveyard and the graveyard as a resource kind of shines in those two colors. Um, but yeah, I was really shocked to see Wuburg at number two.
1: I think Wuburg just has more options than the rest. So when you combine them all, right? Because once you break it down, how many Grixis commanders are there? But there's a lot of Wuburg commanders, especially now with partner commanders. Well, no, partners can't get there. Don't yeah. say that, Josh. That's dumb. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but there's just a, a lot of, uh, of ability to make a deck deck whereas once you get to three color there's just sort of less options for you
2: yeah and it may also be that the general power level of the mono black commanders is just higher in number than the the number of good mono red or blue ones i mean black is the best mono color because black can
1: basically do everything it's just you know you have to pay life to do it or you know sacrifice a creature to do it or whatever whereas like in red there's certain things you just don't have access to doing at all
2: yeah, and I would say that Gonti actually takes up a huge part of the new number of mono-black commanders. So it seems that, I, you know, I, looking back, maybe Brawl is a great mono-blue commander, but I would say black is, in general, like you said, had more options and flexibility than the other ones. I'm surprised to see red so high up there as well, but I guess, you know, there are a lot of um, tribal decks as well as, like, Kiki-Jiki decks running around that, that people like to make, so really interesting. Not to mention Perforos is just a hammer. and people just like mono red right that's a style of play that calls to
1: certain people and and so they're not gonna not do it just because maybe it's not the most popular thing or or powerful thing and i i think actually mono red is sort of more powerful than it seems it makes sense to me that mono white of the mono mono colors is sort of the last uh the lowest ranks because that is the least powerful of the mono colors, for sure.
2: Yeah, Stibbs, when you take a look at of a list like this, and you obviously have built a lot of commander decks, what, what does your brain do? Does it go to the, oh, wow, I didn't realize so many people were building mono black, I'm going to look into more of that and see why, or is it more like, ha, I see that this color combination is 50th on the list, so I'm going to try and build a deck like that instead?
3: Um, I think it's just kind of, like, validated I've got a really wide range of, like, commander preferences because my favorite deck right now is... Um, Still, this green black deck I've been playing forever, Farika, mm-hmm. um, God of Affliction, and seeing it number three makes a lot of sense. Like, just there's a lot of stuff I like to do in Commander green black—a lot of value, a lot of consistency. Um, but I've also played different kind of Orzhov decks and um, uh, Rak- uh, not Rakdos decks, Boros decks for a while, and I've been trying to get like a sweet aggressive creature-driven Boros deck going for a while, and seeing it down towards the bottom makes a lot of sense because I haven't felt. I haven't found the sweet spot for it yet. I really struggled to find something that I really want to pick up and play all the time. So Mm -hmm. um, it makes, you know, a lot of this makes sense. Like the harder to play colors and the more challenging colors for multiplayer setting, Um, you know, being closer to the bottom and seeing really powerful, you know, one-shot and recursive things towards the top kind of lines up. Like they, you know, when I want to play a consistent deck, I'm I'm probably building green-black or Grixis or, um, you know, Esper or something like that. And Mm -hmm. if I want to play something you know, that maybe is kind of a little more of a glass cannon, you know, it might be, it might be a Naya, you know, uh, or deck.
1: Right. So let's talk about the sort of last part, the last, I don't know, third of the article, which, um, you, the headline of that part sort of says, what does our data say? So I guess it's useful to sort of ask, was there a goal when you went looking at this data? Were you trying to prove a theory? Were you trying to sort of, you know, demonstrate evidence of something, what was, at the end of the day, after you looked at all that stuff, you know, did it prove or disprove something? Was, did, it, did it make a statement?
3: Um, I, you know, I think it's very dangerous from a data standpoint. If you go, I believe this thing, let me go find data to support that. I think that's entirely the wrong way to go about analysis, right? Like, we, we see that a lot in, like, you know, uh, selecting facts or <laughs> studies that, that say what you want to hear. Yeah. Um, so, really, what I went into it with is, is I have preconceived notions. Do they hold up to the data I can find? Um, because that was a really big takeaway from you know the interactions is you know there's there's a very big perception that a card is overplayed, but is it? And this was one way to really find a kind of you know facts-driven, community-oriented, the best data set for commander decks available. Um, and so for me, I think some of my observations like. Every deck just jam Soul Ring without thinking It was kind of validated. Mm-hmm. Um, Cyclonic Rift being just the go-to blue answer, um, you know, validated. But um, definitely the, the 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 types of decks people are posting online and sharing, you know, I I would have I would never have guessed the the list of of decks. And um, seeing some of the cards that um, you know I've I've thought about playing or that I always seem to end up in decks, you know, kind of validated that there's a lot of. Um, you know what? I you know I, I maybe archetyping of staples. You know you just have a subset of cards that if you're going into Orzov or Boros or um, Sultai that you just go to first because they are you know just the best cards in those
1: colors every time. Mm-hmm. It is interesting though that you know as at Soul Ring's obviously number one on the list, but there's still like a quarter of decks that don't run it.
2: Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. I mean maybe those decks just. Decide made the. Purposely, I know a lot of people personally don't yeah. put Soul Ring in.
1: But what, uh, one in four?
2: I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. It's so I mean, hard. I'm almost
1: more surprised by the fact that it's not higher.
2: It's so hard to really know how perfectly accurate the EDH Rec data is because maybe someone makes a deck and just throws it together and forgets to put Soul Ring in mm-hmm. and later on edits it and then Donald grabs that data, you know, like, or maybe it's. I,
1: yeah, uh, I don't know exactly some...
2: how the data is compiled, yeah. so it's hard to say. But still, it does I mean, doesn't that strike you as like really? Yeah, it does. Especially 23% because... twenty three percent of decks don't have soul ring. Yeah, because what Sib said of it not you know wizards putting it in hundred percent of precons, you would just think that everyone automatically slots it in. It's just one of those cards that has to go into each deck. But I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm wrong. I mean, and Cyclonic Rift is, and we've often said, I think it's probably the single most
1: powerful non soul ring card in the format, besides like the really expensive like mana crypt yeah. is probably a little above it and stuff like that but it's 50 percent of decks i mean that's still a lot and it's second place but that means only half of blue decks are running cyclonic rift it's actually again a little less prevalent than i would think
2: yeah and maybe it's people not having the more yeah, not spiky, having the card or not having the more spiky mentality of like i have to put this card in mm-hmm. so they don't want to feel forced by those forces I, I and mean, but are
1: that, that many people that in that headspace when they deck build of you know are 50 percent of people literally not I don't know. It's just interesting to me. I'm, I'm, I can't make a claim, obviously. I'm not talking to everybody.
2: There could be a lot of decks with blue that maybe they just don't... You know, it's one of the third or fourth colors. Who knows? I I, I can't really explain it. We would have to have Donald on here to, to maybe help, help uh. What do you think about that, ships I mean, because I'm looking at it almost on the
1: other side, which a lot of these cards seem like, wow, that's it? I would think higher percentage.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's um, kind of the limitations of the data and, like, what straight just data can tell you. right? You need context, too, and that's what makes it... Challenging to, to think about so like moat I think is probably one of the most powerful Enchantments you could have for like a white base control deck, but there's just not a lot of them It's just a really expensive hard to track down hard to find card um, Cyclonic Rift, to, just to point out, it was printed you know, in Standard in Return to Ravnica. Mm-hmm. It got a reprint in Commander 2014, and the, and the most recent reprint was just this year at Modern Masters. And so I think it's just there aren't, you know, I think there's plenty of Cyclonic Rifts to go around, but I think it's a good example of a card that, you know, unless you've been playing since Return to Ravnica or kind of like really getting into... Um, Improving decks and tracking down specific cards like this that make it better You're just never gonna run into a Cyclonic Rift Like it's just not a card that comes up in Standard or Modern or Legacy It's just strictly a commander standout.
1: It also won't show up in those decks and again uh, When people just take the commander pre-con list and put it up somewhere Mm EDH Rec will find that and it is a deck. Well Soul Ring will be in there because those are in all the pre-cons But Cyclonic Rift won't. Yeah, so it's naturally gonna be a little lower. pretty interesting. I like looking at data Uh, Let's move on a little here and I've got it I've got it tagged as a hot button issue and this is something that I don't really know where it came from but recently there's been a lot of I don't know talk around the campfire as it were about the question is EDH rec good or bad for the format and this is kind of like a larger question that occurs in all formats of magic which is you know quote unquote net decking and is that good or bad Um, you know is basically the question is is too much information bad? Does it dampen creativity? Does it lead to a homogenous format? Um, I think we're sort of naturally going to lead into a discussion about that kind of stuff. When looking at data stibs, where do you come down on this whole thing of, you know, is EDH rec sort of ruining the format, or is, is is the amount of data that we have access to as easily as we have access to it in some way harming, you know, Commander or EDH as a whole?
3: Yeah, I mean, I kind of bucket EDH rec as kind of one of those Things that it's a tool, right? It's just a source of information. Anybody can submit decks. Um, you can trust it as much as you want, and it's a tool that's great for a lot of things. Um, but tools can also be used for really terrible things. Um, so, in t- trying to find you know interesting cards to play, or what are cards that are coming played with this commander? You know, if I'm new to new to commander or new to Magic, um, you know, I've I've got the, the the privilege of of knowing you know twenty years ish of cards. Um, and having seen most of them and played, played long enough, but if I've just started playing Magic, EDHREC is amazing, right? Like I can quickly mm-hmm. find you know, these really powerful cards and cards in this color and I, it's filtering down and that filtering is really great to help me get started, right, it helps me go down the right path and, and, I, and I'm not spending time just looking through hundreds or thousands of cards that I'm just not gonna use. Um, you know, the downside, of course, is how typically we play Magic, right? We play Magic to win. And so that's really kind of the undercurrent of how often data and tools like this get used is, what are the most powerful things I can do? And quickly honing in on those to just use every single time. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that that's good or bad necessarily, but when everyone's trying to be more competitive and be more aggressive about making the strongest deck, um, somebody who is just exploring or trying something different kind of gets pushed aside. And I think that's where a lot of the rub comes from is just, you know, the, the tool is what it is. How you choose to use it can create good things on your playgroup or really bad things.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I see that a lot too. I would say, though, that the number one recurring sentiment that I get when people send deck lists is I want to do something that's different, I want to do something that's unique to me. And I think you're right in that EDH Rec is, in the, is great for filtering out a lot of the initial search woes. I mean, not everyone knows how to use Gatherer or any of the search sites to get specifically what they need or that they need to phrase some words differently because older cards will have printed with certain text on it. And I think EDH Rec is great at pointing out a lot of cards that may work in the deck and a few gems that may fit your specific strategy but I think it also really encourages players to be unique with how they make stuff because I think that is just in general one of the things that players want more than anything else is to sit down at the table, play a deck, and feel like they are not just copying something that someone else has done because it's Commander.
1: That's interesting you would say that, though, because a lot of people feel the opposite about E.A. Trick in that they think that it just gives you a list of cards that you should play. Like if you click a track set, it'll tell you the most played cards in a track set, and you can literally just be like, yep, 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 and build the same deck basically as everybody else. And it'll be mostly tuned. I mean, you have to adjust for the cost of cards, but I think, you know, in general, it'll give you the best cards for that deck. And yeah. in order to be unique in the way that, and I use it that way too, we've talked about it a lot on the show, but in order to do that, you actually have to sort of bend the program in a way that it's maybe not meant to. You need to look at cards like specific cards, not commanders, look at other cards like that card that go in decks with it to find the perfect card because you're thinking, well, I don't need Corpse Jack Menace but I need a card that kind of would work with it. So what other cards are in You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I'm on the side. I think it sounds like we're all on, which is like, it's a tool. And it can be good and bad, but it's not inherently bad. Right. Um,
2: it has no emotions. It's just a tool.
1: Yeah, I feel like the people saying, like, Trek is ruining the format are basically saying, I am better at deck building if <laughs> if
2: everybody doesn't have the same amount of information i would also be interested to to the people that are saying that have you played against so many decks that have been altered by edh rec to the fact that you think the that would you know i'm just saying what is making you mad about it is it that
1: oh man everybody runs atraxa yeah you know and that's what you don't want to happen you you're thinking if i take information away from the world basically then what like what's good about
2: that I think you're going to actually make an unhealthier, less diverse format because I think EDHREC does what every magic player has to do when they first start building a deck. If it is a person that just copy pastes, it gets you started. And then that's what fuels the creativity or the want to be more unique. And do something that's a little more off the cuff with magic. But you have to start from somewhere. Because when I built my first deck, it was 99 cards that did not work together. And I did not enjoy the purchase. I did not enjoy the fact that I wasted a lot of money. I don't use any of those cards anymore. And I used Rec to build a deck. And from that basis, I was able to do a lot more. And I think that's... It's true. I think if, anyone, if everyone just started and ended with EDH Rec, you'd have a very homogenized format. But magic is a game that does not work like that. People want... To build decks and refine and update, and not everyone can be, you know, like making episodes on how to build your deck correctly or whatever, so that they don't fall into the same traps. But I think as far as traps go, EDHric is one of the better ones to fall into because it has so many options. You're going to get more than 99 cards on every single page of each commander.
3: Any thoughts, tips? Kind of more or less agree. Like, like part of what makes Magic so awesome, right, is the individuality. Like we get to express ourselves in our playmats and sleeves and deck and the commanders and like commander kind of like is like hyper personal in a lot of ways because like you're building this massive pile of things and you have a ton of decisions that go into it um so i think i think edh rec is one of those things that feels like a way that people maybe aren't making decisions or it's you know kind of validates the idea that oh you just only play the most powerful cards or you're only just trying to win every time like you're not letting me do my thing and so it's that perception but the reality is is that edh rec is just a tool and if you just take every card on there and make a deck it's fine but like You've got to know how to pilot that deck. You know how you do a plus one, plus one counters attracts a deck. Um, you know there's a little more science to it than just put these cards together and play them. You know on your mana curve. So it's you know, I think EDU Trek is great for for players that need to find more cards or want to find um, specific holes that they want to fill, like lands or mana rocks for a color they're unfamiliar with. Um, but anybody who just stops there is really missing out on what makes Commander great.
1: I would also say, like, if you took EDHREC away, a large percentage of the players would do what they're doing. It would just take them a little bit longer. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Because all that information (laughs) they could really figure out. So what you're really saying is, I wish you didn't know about that stuff. Kind of. That's the... EDHREC is giving you the knowledge, but when you're saying, like, uh, EDHREC is ruining the format, what is it that you really want? I wish people had less knowledge, but I still had the same amount of knowledge that I have, because I feel like in that world... I've been playing Magic for longer and I know about more cards and I would be—I would have a leg up or I could play something a little bit more
2: jankier. It's just,
1: to me, it's not realistic. Um,
2: information levels the playing field in a way that a lot of players don't like. Right. I don't understand why people don't like net decking. I can, I can get it. It makes sense in a very, like, if you have to take five steps back and look at it in the way that the person is, but from the grand scope of life looking down, the more information we have, the healthier a form it can be because you're making players enter it in different ways a, a, a site like edh rec if it was like these are the top 10 cards you must put in each deck then i'd have an issue with it but it just shows a list and shows which ones are popular and everyone's gonna have a different opinion on that i'm i'm a kind of person that looks at the top 20 cards of edh rec and go if i put those cards together this deck would suck <laughs> like i know i understand <laughs> that and i can see that you know different decks use different cards for different reasons and all that but edh rec never works for me because their Nekusar is not five colors yeah there
1: you go what are you thinking jeez you know this brought up uh an interesting thing that we it sort of segued us on our twitter conversation stibs into another conversation that i'm just going to unelegantly do here on the show because it was i don't know a a very interesting place to go which is you and i started talking about could this data be used for sort of bannings or unbannings and then it also we started touching on like and that's really interesting. What should even the criteria for banning be? Like, because Soul Ring's on the top of that list, should it be the number one card people are looking to ban? Should Cyclonic Rift, should Swords to Plowshares? Like, mm-hmm. does that in any way or should it factor into sort of bans and unbans? What do you think about that?
3: Um, I, I think it's one of those it's it's one of those ways to define like a data point, right? Like saying like, oh, everybody just plays this card and it ruins every game of magic <laughs> or commander or whatever, like Sure, but what does the data actually say? And so we see this in like, um, the, the way I thought of it was, you know, there's no Commander Grand prize, there's no Commander, you know, there, there's one-on-one Commander Leagues now on Magic Online, but there's no real data set that says how often are these cards in the winning decks. Mm-hmm. And so the only data source we have is just the counts, just how often they're, they're being played, which I think is an indicator, right? Like the fact that so many decks play Cyclonic Rift, even with so few printings, kind of points out how powerful that card is for Commander. Um, and similarly for, you know, Sol Ring, being in every preconstructed deck and kind of telling every player you should put it in every deck, we're seeing it in pretty much every deck, the vast majority. So it's one yeah. of those things that helps illustrate a point, right? Like I can't, I don't think you could use this to say moat should be banned because you're just never going to see it in that many decks. But it is a good way to say does, has Cyclonic overstayed its welcome? That would be a question that penetration can help ask. I think it's one of those things that leads to supporting or maybe kind of countering the idea that a card is being overplayed or ruining games.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Because it's just straight data. You don't know. You don't have the aspect of, did this engender a bad play experience? Or uh, is this card making people not happy? That's just one of those things you're not going to get from data of just like, yeah, it's played in a lot of decks, but. Maybe the Cyclonic Rift is more often a better answer for the person that's doing the thing that's making everyone not have fun, right? Holding up an Overload Cyclonic Rift in response to Kiki Jiki going infinite is a better way of looking at it than just like Cyclonic Rift is the card that's winning me games and making other people unhappy. So it's hard to know where exactly the card is being used and to what effectiveness and then whether or not it's on the side of this is making magic worse or this is making magic better or this isn't affecting it at all or this is the perfect card to balance out the situations that people get into, so it's hard to like understand that layer of data. But I, I, if anything, I think these numbers help create a watch list to investigate further and sort of ask those real questions based on just raw data. But I don't think it's—I don't think it should ever really sway a decision point one way or the other, unless you see something that's really an anomaly or something that's really weird. And like the thing you said with Moat is great. You're just not going to get Moat on this list ever because it's just such a pricey card. It's interesting because I look at the data and actually it sort of tells me the
1: opposite thing. Because, yeah, the first two cards. But once you get past that, Swords to Plowshares is played in only 4% less of white decks than Cyclonic Rift. I don't think anybody's sitting around saying Swords to Plowshares should be banned. Eternal Witness is played in only 5% less of green decks than Cyclonic Rift is in blue decks. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody's sitting around saying Eternal Witness should get banned. So just cherry-picking Cyclonic Rift is... I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me because most of the other cards, really, if you look down the list, Cultivate, Counterspell, Kadama's Reach, Demonic Tutor, Putrefy, Supreme Verdict, none of them really are even, I think, you know, you you would laugh if somebody came up to you and said, you know what I think should be banned in Commander?
2: Putrefy. (laughs)
1: <laughs> you know, right? Like, no, everyone would be like,
2: what? Yeah, I mean, the power level of Cyclone that we all know how absurdly powerful it can be comparatively to these cards. Um, but yeah, I think just numbers-wise alone, you can't make an argument whether something should be banned. For me, again, it's just, should it be watched? Should it be taken? At, should someone take another glance at it?
3: I think what I was trying to say a little bit is that this is, this is a way to help identify a card, right? Like, like, if they printed something in the new, you know, Commander 2017 decks, and let's say it's a you know, some sort of, you know, artifact that just does something really, really over the top. I'm not even going to try to invent a card. But, you know, it starts out, and it seems like it's meant to be like a tribal card, but it turns out it's a little bit better than that, and it starts creeping up this list. Um, I think you you're know, talking about
2: Ramos the... Dragon Engine.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a five-color card, so, so maybe. But um, it's it's one of those things where, you know, the, the the one of the questions that comes up, you know, I think the Rules Committee, you know, and, and anybody thinking about kind of house rules for Commander has to... Has to make a decision about is is what data are we using? You know, is there data that that tells us something or not? And so when you're playing a you know with, with a group and it's should we just say let's not play with this card anymore? It's just kind of everybody you know chases it down. It just becomes kind of like the center of gameplay. Mm-hmm. You can't get that strictly from data, but if it's happening on a wide enough scale or everybody just keeps making every deck with that card, um, it's it's a way to support the idea that it is being played a lot, right? Like I don't think anybody would disagree that that. Cyclonic Rift is in most blue decks. Like mm-hmm. It just seems that way, it looks that way, that it supports that. So now the question becomes, you know, if you're talking about whether Cyclonic Rift is healthy or not, now you've got a standpoint that says, well, it looks like most people feel compelled to play with it. And that kind of helps change the tenor and provide support or um, you know, something that maybe dispels a myth about a card.
1: Do you think that the amount of play that it sees should be one of the criteria for banning it? Is one of the goals of the format to not have cards that are sort of ubiquitous?
3: No, I mean, I don't think you can really have that. I mean, I think Legacy is a great example of, of a format that just seems defined by Brainstorm. Like, that's the iconic card, the face of the format. You know, if they ever ban Brainstorm from Legacy, it's probably the end of that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so, it's, so it's not, I'm, you know, I wouldn't make that argument. Um, but it is, it's one of those things where, you know, we talk a lot about, um, and I know you guys talk a lot about, a lot about, about data, is like, how, how do you choose how to ban a card? Um, and so when you have such limited data, you know, it's kind of hard to, to talk about you know, in discrete terms. It's just every deck plays this card or every deck loses to this card. You really can't make those arguments because we don't have tournaments, but this is just one of the only ways really to identify, well, do players feel like they have to play that card? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's what penetration is a really good answer for. Do I have to play Demonic Tutor in my black decks? Well, 30% of players go, yeah, just shove it in every time.
1: Right, but does that mean that's what I mean? Does that in any way? Well, I won't even ask in a in a circumspect manner. Like to me, (laughs) that doesn't in any way sort of give any commentary on whether it should be banned or not. Like I don't know that the format's goal is really to make sure that there's no cards that fit into the category of you know because there's always going to be those cards, right? If you take demonic Demonic tutor off, then everyone's going to be like, okay, let's go to the next thing. Like, is it really realistic to exist in a world where? Each color doesn't have a few cards that are the best cards in those colors.
2: I think you just have to ask different questions. Demonic Tutor being this high on the list and costing five times as much as Cyclonic Rift or Soaring, uh, I think is a is something to take note of. The fact that it costs more and people are playing it still in a high percentage of decks might mean that people feel that it is that important. Whereas Cyclonic Rift, let's say Cyclonic Rift was at like 80% higher than Soaring. Then I think you'd have a cause, at least some cause for concern, being like, hold on. If eighty percent of blue decks are playing this card, is it a card that is just so powerful that it defines the format in a way that's unhealthy? Because brainstorm, I think, defines a format in a healthy way, which is its interaction. There's a lot of like, you know, fetch lands and all that stuff. Like, I feel like a lot of legacy is broke. I mean, like, I feel like cards like counterbalance are worse than brainstorm in terms of, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm just sort of just talking off like the cuff now, but. I think there's just a lot of different things. The data only gives you a tiny glimpse into what the card's actually doing and whether or not it's good for the format and needs to be banned. But it's something that I think a company like Wizards that has a lot of experience with data would be able to analyze a lot more better. Uh, But unfortunately, we don't have a huge committee working on this every single day. We do have a smaller committee doing it. And the data is important. And hopefully hopefully people use the data in the right way is what I'm trying to get at.
3: Yeah, I, I think I think to be explicit to answer your question, does this should we use penetration as a metric to determine if a card should be banned or not? I think the answer is no. Um, but I, I think Jimmy kind of kind of picked up on what what I'm really trying to say is is it's one of those things that should help you ask different questions, and those are the those questions are really what leads to what should be on a watch list, what should be considered for banned, um, what are cards that we are concerned about. It's one of those ways to help. Um, get at some of the questions uh, with with the spelling. You know, is this really a problem because it's in every single deck or not? Stibbs,
1: gonna put you on the spot. Sure. You're elected tomorrow to the rules committee. <laughs> you go to the first meeting. You know, <laughs> you go to their whatever their boardroom in the sky. And they're like, "Welcome, Stibbs. You've been in, inducted into the rules committee for Commander, and we are trying to create a criteria by which." to ban cards in the format, what do you think are some of the criteria that we should consider?
3: Whew, that's, that's, um, that's a very big question. Um, I think I think It doesn't have to be th- expansive,
1: yeah. it doesn't have to cover every base, but you know, what pops into your head as maybe you know, the top couple of points, bullet points for what should be sort of checked off when you look at a card?
3: Yeah, I think uh, high penetration is probably something to, to keep in mind, you know, just if everyone feels they have to have it in their deck. Like, if Primeval Titan was legal, I would put it in every single deck with green, for sure. Um... You know, that's a great example of a card that I just feel compelled to play, so that's probably one angle. Um, another would be um, something ideally that I could get from, say, Wizards of the Coast if, if, I, if I have access to their data. They, you know, they have data from multiplayer games. What are the cards that you know, uh, are, are in the decks that, that win those multiplayer games? What are the ones that are, that are last standing? Um, I think that, that, that finding, a, finding a metric like that, like how often does a card appear in a deck that wins a game? Um, is, is important because if it's multiplayer, it should be relatively low, right? All things being equal, stuff like basic lands are high, maybe cards with high penetration are high, um, but if it's a card with low penetration but is in a high number of winning decks, that would help illustrate maybe a card to, to take a closer look at um, because it because if it's not being played a lot, except in decks that win, um, it might be a good indicator that that's doing something that changes the game, um, that just pushes it in a way that we're, we're you know, I wouldn't be happy about. Um, I think those are the two things that really leap to mind, is really trying to drill down and, and pull apart how often cards are being played and then how often cards are being played in winning decks.
2: Yeah. What do you think, Jimmy? I think because it's a multiplayer format, you need to look at player experience and what people think about cards and whether or not it drives them to play more or to play less. And so I think you need to have nationwide worldwide studies polls and get as much data as to the general temperament of what people think about certain things. Because if you find out that 75% of players don't like soul ring, then I think you've got something on your hands that needs to be considered differently being like, well, if people don't like the card, how do we fix that? And is it something that's actually hurting the format or is it something that doesn't matter in the long run? I think a lot of that metric is really almost impossible to attain. And and the same with also, like what decks win, because we don't have huge Grand Prix or tournaments for for a commander. You just have four v four or four four for all or just like smaller games, and you can't keep track of everything every single time. So I, I don't know. It's really tough. I think a big thing, though, is whether or not it ruins a player's experience of the format and whether if a card is actively driving someone to play less of a game because, Uh, it's a card that is just so powerful that the answers for it don't match up or the answers for it in all the colors aren't there, then I think you should look into it more deeply. I mean, again, I think also if you you open the Pandora's box of everyone's just going to complain about everything if you ask everyone, but... You're going to get some data from there that I think is going to be valuable. And if you find out that most of the world doesn't like Soul Ring, then I think you should keep investigating that and do more polls and find out why and really make a decision. Does it mean that you just print more uh, ways to get rid of artifacts? Is it it everyone just gets more ramp? Like, I don't know what the answer is, but I think if someone's not having fun, that's the first thing that needs to be looked at. Josh, what are your metrics for the banning of cards if you had to choose a couple?
1: I think the number one metric just has to be is it game breaking you know there's a whole bunch of other things and we get really bogged down by them and i don't think a lot of them really matter like i don't particularly think that how many decks it shows up into really matters that much because i don't think it's realistic to have a format where there's not staple cards like Mm -hmm. if you knock cyclonic rift then another blue card is going to move up on the list because blue decks need cards And they're going to gravitate naturally towards whatever the best ones are. And as you whack them all down, the current best ones, then something else will move into that slot because it will now be the best. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't think that's a great metric. Um, I do get that the format doesn't want to be completely homogenous, but it doesn't feel like it is. Um, You know, we play a lot of Commander with a lot of different people in a lot of different places, and I don't see the same exact decks all the time. So... To me, the only metric that really matters, and again, you might factor in some of this other stuff in a small manner, but to me, it's, is it fair? Is it breaking the game in a way that is just unbalanced? Mm-hmm. And to me, that should just be the number one metric. And and again, I don't want very many bands, and I'm hoping not very many cards are in the completely broken category.
2: All right. That's good metric. I like it. But I'm always trying to break the game so Yeah, ban which is me. what everybody's trying to do. <laughs> and
1: that's kind of what's fun about it. Um, so the fact that Tooth and Nail gets you an infinite combo is not a reason to ban it because that's going to happen in many different ways, uh, not just with that one card in our format. So anyway, I can talk about bans forever and we've done it many times. <laughs> so
2: let's talk about Card Kingdom instead. They're way cooler than bans. Yeah, I agree. And cardkingdom.com slash command zone is our affiliate link. You can actually buy cards that are banned just because. It's true. Do whatever you want.
1: Yeah. In fact, uh, they unban cards sometimes and then they'll shoot up in price, like yeah.
2: uh Protean Hulk. So if you can like see the future and yeah. call it,
1: you can, you know, make that dollar dollar bill. I've been waiting to
2: make this pun for a while, but ever since the Bruce Banhammer of Protean Hulk is gone, you know, it's it's I think it's time to to take a look at that card and see if it fluctuates a bit. Cause even if you didn't get it at first, there may be a chance to pick a card like up that soon. At cardkingdom.com slash command zone. <laughs> Something else you should pick up there
1: or any other online retailer is uh Ultra Pro products especially the Eclipse sleeves. I posted out a pic on Twitter recently oh, yeah. of me like I'm tr- I'm currently in the process of resleeving all of my decks but I have 20 plus decks into the new Eclipse sleeves. They're just awesome. Um but it does take a while to resleeve a full commander deck cuz you got to unsleeve and then resleeve and man my, hand, my, I'm getting old. Like my hands get sore after a little. while. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll say I'll do two now, and then I'll save, you know, it's because you've been pumping iron. You have to do it when you're like watching a show. I that's think that's what is I. Best. That's what I did. But even then, it's like after a while, you're like, you start going slow. You're actually watching the show, <laughs> and then all right. So make sure to check out the Ultra Pro products. Not just the Eclipse sleeves. They have things like satin towers, those yes. awesome uh, gravity dice that we were talking about. Lots um, of cool stuff, and the Playmats. The Playmats, super high quality. Love it. All right, time for to the listeners. Um, how do you feel about EDHREC and data and net decking? Do you think it's ruining the format? Also, how do you think bans should be handled? What do you think the criteria should be for bans? Uh, also, we didn't touch on this, but I'm curious. Do you think the rules committee should let us know what their criteria for bans is? You know, Maybe just so we have some idea what we can expect or some baseline. That's something I always wish existed. If they uh, show
2: this, the picture of the dartboard they use for bands, I don't think we'd be very happy. Josh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Hulk's on band. Cool. Uh, moving on. <laughs> all right. Time for the end step where we talk about something cool
1: outside the world of magic. Stibs. This one is all you. I understand you have something cool to talk about. Oh boy.
3: I mean, I don't think everyone called this cool, but I, you know, I, I'm clearly into it. I think it's pretty cool.
1: <laughs> I think a lot of people call it cool. Yeah. It, it, for a long time, it was the number one played video game in the world. We're talking millions of people at this point calling yeah. it cool, Stibs. What is it, Stibs? Uh, world of Warcraft. World of Warcraft. Is it this specifically the new expansion? Yeah, so so
3: I got kind of hooked back in. I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for the Blizzard hype engine. You know, they have a new... Game coming out, a new product coming out, something like that, and um, I typically want to give it a try. I always think it looks cool. They do a great job with their cinematics and the mm-hmm. storytelling and everything that kind of like grabs me as a player. Um, and it's you know super polished, super great looking, super super fun to play. Um, and so I got back into World of Warcraft with the Legion expansion that came out uh, I think last August.
2: Yeah, I saw a lot of our friends playing at Zell, uh, Josh Cam was playing it as well. Um, what class and stuff do you play in World of Warcraft?
3: Uh, well, I, um, I played a druid off and on for like 10 years, but I actually just switched to a fury warrior.
2: Fury? I, I don't what even know. What race are you? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, night elf and
3: human. I'm nice. Filthy alliance, sorry.
2: Hey, I was a filthy alliance member too. I was a night elf warrior tank when I played World of Warcraft back in the day. I was Alliance, too. I did build some
1: Horde characters on a different server, but you know, I moved over from EverQuest, and that was my guild. They just chose Alliance. I don't know why. I would have rather been Horde, but that's just the way it goes sometimes.
2: Horde just has more fun. This is just a known fact. What's <laughs> the level
1: cap now in Legion? <laughs> 110. Oh, my god! Oh,
2: gosh. <laughs> so it was high, 85 yeah. when I played. It was 60. I played right before the first expansion and sold my account. <laughs> so what um, sort of hooked you back into Legion specifically? Do you have
1: a group of people you play with? Is there some specific kind of content that they've brought?
3: Yeah, um, so I, I kind of like the the idea of the story. Um, so I played, the last time I played really big was uh, the Burning Crusade and Wrath of Liching, kind of the mm-hmm. the post-vanilla expansions that really captured, it was kind of like the peak of the game, I, I would call it. And so it was kind of like a return to some of the themes that really kind of, I enjoyed about Warcraft. And um, you know, I'm not I'm not a big fan of Illidan coming back. Spoilers, he's alive again if you're living under a rock. Uh, but for me, um I, I've always played with friends. And for me, it's been a great way to just kind of um, kind of escape um, because I've been doing a lot of you know uh, work a full- time job and I've been managing and kind of leading teams and doing a lot of stuff where um, I'm kind of kind of like working with other people, but I just want to like cut loose and have fun. And so mm-hmm. I ended up falling back in with um, some of my uh, West Coast friends, um, and that's how I started the expansion and, and I was almost ready to like stop. Because they had all stopped playing, and kind of the, the initial hype wore off, and not everybody's in for kind of playing an MMO, you know, every other day. And right. um, a buddy of mine from college reached out to me from from the when I originally played 10 years ago, and was like, hey, would you want to do a dungeon? And it was just kind of like one of those things out of the blue. One thing led to another, and suddenly I server transfer, and I'm on the progression raid team and kind of went from kind of playing Ooh, raiding. Don't say yeah. the word raid. Oh, yeah. Don't say yeah.
2: the fact that it was easy to transfer service and play with your friends. Just stop right where you are. Jimmy, the last <laughs> thing Jimmy needs is to get back into that game. I don't know if we've talked about this on the show, but he was supremely addicted to it for a long time. 16 to 18 hours a day, for months at a time. He was one of those, like,
1: yeah, those people they talk about on, like, TV shows. Like, <laughs> like you know, there'll be yeah, a 2020 yeah.
2: episode about,
1: you know, Are the youth, are the current youth addicted to the digital world? Yeah, Jimmy totally was, yeah.
2: Well, to let you know how bad it was, when I ended up selling my account on eBay before they banned it straight outright, you could do slash played, and it would show you how many hours you played in the game. Uh, So far, no other game in my life has surpassed how many hours I put into World of Warcraft. And it divided how much I sold it for, and I was making something close to like half a cent an hour. (laughs) Dude, crazy. I still haven't sold mine, so that's even worse because my account's sitting there
1: ready to be reactivated oh god Stibbs for the listeners out there <laughs> what uh what server do you play on and what's your character name like if they want to find you and, and go on a raid or do some sort of heroic uh, dungeon crawl or something
3: I'm on a uh, Dalaran U.S. Uh, so on the alliance side of course um, uh, Karadyne, um and and uh, Karamoff are like my two characters my druid and my warrior um, so I'm in the guild trilogy um, kind of a you know it's it's progression but it's like very much laid back. Like I can't dedicate, you know, 16 hours a day. Like that's just not something I can do as like a dad and having a career. But um, you know, as as a as a way to escape and kind of like hang out with my friends on Teamspeak, put in a couple hours, you know, you know every other night and just kind of kind of play enough to keep up. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I really really dig getting to hang out with my buddies digitally. And um, unlike Magic, where like I'm always competing against someone else, except maybe with Arch Enemy coming up. I'm only competing um, against myself, right? I don't have to beat other people up. I don't do PvP at all. It's just strictly how can I contribute the most to the group? How can I kind of be the best contributor to the this team goal that, that we can do? And when I make a mistake, it's you know it's only my fault. And and <laughs> you know I, I definitely want to step up and be a good contributor. And that's kind of like what really appeals to me. So for all the for all the for all the smack we talk on T Speak, it's still kind of like a it's like a second family, um, and that's kind of what what's kept me going.
2: Sounds awesome, man.
1: (laughs) Jimmy's like, don't do it, Jimmy. Don't don't go back there, man.
2: Just thinking about my guild and all the friends (laughs) I made.
1: Stibbs, it's been awesome to have you on the show. Uh, We've been talking about it for years. I'm
2: glad we could finally make it happen. So thanks so much for coming on. Where can we find you on the internet? Uh, Where would be the top place to find your articles or Twitter, all that stuff? Uh,
3: The two places you'll see my article are on uh, dailymtg.com, the mothership, of course. Um, I'll have an article come in. Uh, you know, probably once a month it's always a different topic uh, for commander stuff and especially my cube. Uh, I'll write articles on tcgplayer.com uh, where, I'm, where I'm the content director. Uh, those are the two places to kind of read my content. Um, I don't do as much as I used to. I don't have a weekly column about Commander, so it's kind of, you know, when I write something, I try to try to make sure it's valuable or useful or at least interesting. Um, and you hey. can always yell at me on Twitter at the underscore stibs. Uh, <laughs> that's probably the favorite place for people to beat up on me.
2: Yeah, and that's S-T-Y-B-S- Mm Stibs. Awesome. That's good. Go yell at Stibs and stop yelling at me. I'll be happy with that. I mean,
1: you do get yelled (laughs) at quite a bit. (laughs) I definitely do. (laughs) Stibs, it has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on, man.
3: Thanks for having me. It's been awesome.
1: Make sure to also check out our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern, Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman, talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. You can find them on Twitter at the MMCast or right next to us on our Magic Hub, which is Collected.Company. You can also find them and Stibs And Jimmy and I at GP Vegas in just a couple of weeks. If you're on the fence, get off the fence, buy a plane ticket, rent a car, drive to Vegas. Again, our big gathering. Stibbs, I'm assuming you're gonna be there. And if you're not, well, don't disillusion me. Just keep your mouth shut. June 15th, 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. at the Plaza Hotel. Everybody's invited, there's gonna be tons of EDH games. There's going to be free drafts. There's going to be food and beverage. It's there's going be to be magic. Celebrities like Adam Staborski. Am I correct, Stibbs? Are you going? Absolutely. Ha ha. Got, yes. got, got him. Got him. We got Hooked him off him. World of Warcraft for one night. <laughs> so make
2: sure. <laughs> I'm not going. I'm not making it though anymore. <laughs> Jimmy's
1: going to be. Jimmy's got to get to uh, hundred and ten. So I'll that he can be raid. there, but I'll be in the corner on my laptop. <laughs> you know. We're going to give away prizes. You do not want to miss it. Again, that'll be the evening of Thursday, June fifteenth at 8 p.m. at the Plaza Hotel. Follow us on Twitter at CommandCast for all those details. We will see you
2: at GP Vegas. Our editor for the show is Terry Robertson. You can watch the video versions of these podcasts by going to youtube.com slash thecommandzonepodcast. Great way to see some faces. Actually, this is the first time, notably, that our guest has had videos. So Stibbs is going to be there in full HD. Stibbs, give a wave. Give a wave. Let 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 the viewers know you're here. Uh, And you can check that out, again, all on our YouTube. Make sure you subscribe and get our notifications. And thank you, Jeffrey Palmer, as always, at Living Cards MTG for making the awesome beginning and outro animations for the show. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching and listening. And we will see you next time. Peace.